I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you Colin Breyer joined Amazon in 1998 and spent the next 12 years as part of Amazon's senior leadership team as Amazon grew from a U.S. domestic seller of books to a global multidimensional powerhouse and innovator. Colin served as a vice president at Amazon, and for two of his years, he was chief of staff to Jeff Bezos, aka Jeff's shadow, during which he spent each day attending meetings, traveling with, and discussing business and life with Jeff. Now Colin is co-founder of Working Backwards LLC, where he coaches executives at both large and early stage companies on how to implement the management practices developed at Amazon. He is the author of Working Backwards, Insight Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. On this episode, Colin discusses what he learned working side-by-side with Jeff Bezos, the key leadership principles behind Amazon's success, and some of the -the behind-the-scenes secrets that turned Amazon into what it is today. Anyone looking for a new job this year, or are you a company who's looking to hire great talent? If so, you might want to check out the job hiring platform, Culture Finders. I'm sure you're thinking, what's different about Culture Finders compared to the other job hiring platforms? Well, other platforms only focus on your job skills and trying to match you with as many companies as possible. What Culture Finders does different is that they uncover the preferences, personalities, unique talents, and abilities that make up each job seeker and matches them with the company that these traits best align. It's not about sending 100 jobs, but about connecting you with the right job. We know your value to companies goes beyond your resume, and it's time you find a company that sees yours. Job seekers create your free profile today at culturefinders.com. And if you're a company hiring, you get a free job posting today. That's culturefinders.com. Oh yeah, just so you guys know, Culture Finders and What Got You There is actually hiring right now. So jump on culturefinders.com to create your free profile and hopefully we'll be working together soon. Colin, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, this is this is an honor for me. So I'm excited for this one. And anytime I, I want to start a conversation, I love hearing about some of the things that you've done, some of those persistence patterns of excellence. And, and I'm wondering, any routines that you use throughout your life uh, and continue to use today that you've just found success with? Well, whenever I look at a new opportunity, I look at a couple of things. One is the impact that, the, that uh, the potential impact that it can make. Two is that team and group of people I'd be working with. And, um, you know, three is, is it going to be fun trying to do some of these things? And so, you know, those are, I would say, three big uh, factors, you know, and that, that I look at. And then also, I think it's important, you know, I, I've been lucky enough in my life to have lots of great mentors along the way. And, um, you know, so a lot of times I rely on mentors to either talk through different situations, like what am I getting into and uh, and then making the decision. And sometimes it's just an extension of what I've been doing or other times it's a completely different shift in direction, but it helps to kind of frame a, a problem first and then, uh, you know, rely on peers and mentors to help you guide through that decision. I'm wondering around the impact team and fun, are, are there different ways you weigh each one of those or are they pretty balanced? I would say they're pretty balanced. And then I think, you know, one other thing that I am also explicit about is what things don't matter as much, you know, so if, you know, for instance, if I'm coaching people on a next career move, I, I ask them to think about, well, 
are you okay moving? Or, you know, does the size of the company matter? Do you want to work at a small company? What is your tolerance for risk? Um, and, you know, and sometimes that helps clarify decisions too. Um, it, be, it just helps because as you get information and in, it helps you put it in the right box and, and, and evaluate your decision. And it also filters things out. Rather, if you just do a broad scale thing, you may jump in and take the first thing that comes along. And that may not be the right thing for you at that time. That's one of my favorite things to do, that filtering out process. What don't you want? Uh, I'm wondering, if you've, if you've advanced throughout your career, what do you think early on you, you thought you, you needed to have, but then as you got older, you realized you could just eliminate that and you were pretty much the same off? I, you know, when I started off, you know, back in my time, my first job out of college was at Oracle, and I was a consultant here in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, projects ran from a couple of weeks to a couple of months. And, you know, some people had, who had more experience than me, had families wanted to stay in Seattle. I personally just looked at what was the best, most interesting opportunity. I travel anywhere. I just moved across the country. I didn't really have any ties. I got to see a lot of the Northwest, but I think just as important, I, I um, really got to probably was put in situations that I had no be business being in, and I learned a lot. And uh, and so, you know, some of the things that have changed uh, since then, um, you know, I have I have a family now, so you know, family obviously takes uh, priority for for me. So you know, the decisions that um, it's not I'm making, it's that we're making together. And I, I've also realized that balance is also quite important too. That I've, you know, I've seen that the um, more often than not, the most effective people I, I've seen in, in business life have a very good balance. Um, and you know, it, balance I think helps with creativity. It helps with focus. It helps put things in perspective, and ultimately to make the right decisions. A lot to unpack there. I, I want to double click on balance for a second there. Could you speak personally to that, how you find that that balancing things? And then what does that balancing process even look like for you? So um, I'm a big runner. And so if if something's really bothering me or I haven't really quite figured something out, I throw on my running shoes and I just go out there. And uh, for, for me, running, it kind of separates my body and mind, if that makes any sense. And, uh, and I, I'm able... To, to just think about a, a problem in a way that I'm, you know, all of the distractions are gone and uh, I'm, I've been lucky enough to have a runner's uh, body. So my knees have held out so far, you know, fingers crossed. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of times I'll just keep running until I, I come up with some type of a resolution. That's one way I achieve balance. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, talking to mentors and peers, you know, um, my wife and in, in, in particular, I, I look up to her and she's, uh, you know, helps me think through a lot of problems and, uh, and, and challenges, you know, across a number of different dimensions. So um, I, I don't always figure it out on my own and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay admitting that, hey, this is something I'm, I have a challenge. I don't know the answer. Can you help uh, me walk through it? Or I, you know, don't want to make the, the, decision until I've got all the information. So I rely on people and then uh, running, I guess, is where I find my personal balance a lot of times. Did that take you a long time or you were you always pretty good at saying, you know what, I don't know. There, there's people out there that I can learn from. I've got to drop my ego. It took me a, a little bit early <laughs> on in, in my career. Um, I think part of it was kind of beaten into me when I told you I would go to these locations where I had no business being there. I had to get up to speed pretty fast. And I realized that, hey, I just can't do this alone. I'm out here in, um, you know, someplace up in uh, 
panhandle in Alaska or in a semiconductor firm in, in uh, Idaho. And there's a big challenge here and I'm going to need to go uh, figure out how to do it, but also I, I can't do this alone. And so, you know, that, that humbling experience, you get, you get through that once or twice and then you realize it's much better to ask for help earlier rather than later. And um, you, you know, you just, you get to where you want to end up. You get to where you want to go faster that way. Absolutely. Colin, I, I love that throwing yourself into those difficult scenarios that, that you're not even ready for. I, I kind of view that as tiptoeing that razor's edge, always pushing your bounds. I'm wondering, was there a specific thing early in your career that you got thrown into that you think was just instrumental in terms of forming you? Well, there, there was one particular instance where, um, so I was working for a large software company and um, the product they had sold wasn't, it was vaporware, essentially. It wasn't out and it, it kept getting delayed and delayed. And um, the, the, you know, the, the client pulled in folks, you know, my manager and another manager, and then just were like, it was supposed to be a status update and, um, and, it, it was more of an ambush, quite honestly. And and the, the client, I think justifiably so, went ballistic and saying, I want an officer of the company out here. You guys sold me a bag of goods. And, um, you know, I, I'm trying to move off one system to another. And that was another out-of-body experience. I was furiously taking notes and trying to, to listen to um, the legitimate um, complaints that the, the customer had. And I knew a lot of them already. But I also thought, um, I was thinking about going to business school at the time, and I said, I'm going to rip up my application. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make this thing work. And um, and and so that was, uh, you know, having the the conviction to say, uh, I, I need to do, I need to make right by the, by the customer. Um, and, you know, it took a while and it was quite painful, but we actually did turn out that, that um, the whole situation around. And uh, so that's something that I, I realized that even no matter how bad things seem, if if you if you do see a way out, it may take a lot of time um, and effort. But if you really do focus on what are the core issues and what the the, the customer really is asking for and wants, um, you you can get there. Have you found that those tension points, some of those friction moments, provide the most long term benefits, even though in the short term uh, they seem to be the most difficult? I think they're great learning experiences, and you take things uh, things uh, away, and uh, that that help you solve bigger and 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 better problems. Uh, so yes, you've brought up mentors a few times. Mentors have shaped me a lot. I've been very lucky with some of the ones I've had. I, I am wondering though, how do you view mentorship in terms of? even learning more from them. And I'm wondering about particular questions that you might use just, just to be able to even learn more from a mentor that you have. So I, I'm really just an open book when, when I approach a, a mentor and, uh, and, you know, ask kind of what's ever on my mind or even to say, what questions should I be asking, uh, you know, or what am I missing here? And, uh, and, and a lot of times they'll be frank and, and, and tell me that. Um, and when I'm mentoring other people, I, you know, really expect and, and kind of push that, that open, honest, you know, frank discussion to where you know, if you can't be honest in that type of a situation and open, um, you're really just uh, hindering your, your ability to solve the, the, the challenge at hand. When working with a mentee right now, are, are, are there particular things you feel like they don't ask you enough 
But if you were at their stages, it's it's almost an obvious. This is exactly what I would be asking Colin right now. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll point out, have you thought about this? But there are times where people, you know, you can't explain to a child how to walk. They just have to go through it and, and, and stumble and, and crawl and, and, you know, get that muscle memory and exercise. And then they're walking. You can't intellectually explain that. Sometimes you have to realize this person needs to go through this situation. They may make some mistakes. You want to try to help them minimize the consequences of those mistakes. But that is the learning experience making mistakes is part of a learning experience. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, as, as a mentor, you don't always, you don't know all of the details. Uh, you know, you're not as in, intimately involved in the, 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 the daily uh, business life. So, you know, sometimes you're wrong too. You can just help give them some guideposts or guiding principles to help make the decisions more, right decisions more often than not. You want to stack the odds in their favor um, rather than, tell, you know, tell them what to do. No, no, that's very helpful. Clears things up. You, you hit on that decision-making process. And earlier you, you mentioned triangulate, triangulate your views. You even mentioned bringing in your wife. Are, are there certain things you do after a deep conversation with someone who might even be a mentor or even your wife when, when you're thinking through your ideas that you can step away and, and just kind of get a better per- picture of what you're trying to work on or solve? Um, I, I do step away and, and, you know, I, you know, you have to move fast also in a, in a lot of cases in, in, in business. So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, recognizing that it's okay if you make the wrong decision, if it's a reversible decision. So I, I think knowing what type of, of decision it is, um, you know, helps to say, well, if I'm wrong, you know, or when I'm wrong, uh, you know, what can I do to to pivot and, and, and change something? So if it's quite easy to course correct, um, you know, speed is probably more important and then recognizing when you're on the wrong course just to, to change course. But if it's if it's a bigger <laughs> decision, then you need to you need to do a little bit more research. Um, and, and just, and so I think knowing the types of decisions that you're making and the consequences helps a lot with that. No, I love that. The, uh, the one way or two way doors in, in terms of, is it reversible? Uh, it's, it's very interesting, very helpful as well. Uh, I am intrigued. We're going to talk about a lot about Amazon and the new book. I am wondering though, how'd you first become involved with Amazon and decide to join them? So uh, I had I was working at a small startup. We were building a. Uh, it was this is in the mid '90s. So right as the internet and the, the web were, were were taking off, and um, you know my experience before that was working uh, at Oracle, which uh, with, primarily with the relational database and helping to build uh, bespoke applications on top of that uh, for for companies. It mostly on the corporate side of of, of the data in in a B two B world. And uh, we, I started a company with, with two other people, and we um, were helping companies connect their internal data that they and expose it via the web, which was a novel thing at the time. Sounds really simple and yeah, you know, brain dead, but people didn't know how to do that. And um, you know, w- we were helping companies guide through that, and so we started to get uh, a client base here in the Northwest. You know, some of them were. Uh, names like Microsoft, uh, Boeing, uh, you know, we did some work with Warehouser and, uh, and, uh, and so we were working with this small startup uh, called Amazon at, at the time. And, 
in, in helping them, they had uh, just uh, were adopting and, and learning how to use uh, at that time Oracle in, in their uh, in their operations. And so uh, it went, the more we got to learn about Amazon, it, you know, it was kind of like the dog chasing the the school bus and finally catching it. You know, it's like, okay, what do I do now? Because uh, they had asked, uh, you know, if we wanted to, to to join them, and it was it was actually that was another. Um, Kind of challenging decision. The business was taking off the startup. It was the first time I had created a, a, a startup with a couple other people, or did we want to join Amazon? And the more we learned about uh, what was going on at Amazon, how special it was, how and you know how it was growing, and and again the impact um, that that we could make on one path versus the other, and uh, and just the the people we had come across uh, so far at Amazon, really impressed with. So uh, you know we decided to essentially go with Amazon. I'm wondering, was there anything that just stuck out above everything else uh, in terms of Amazon just seeming special, seeming different at that time? Well, you know, part of it was just that everyone believed that there was some big change that they were making. They were, you know, driven uh, that what was going on at Amazon was a once in a generation type thing. And uh, and it was being validated by by customers by you know by buying books at the time it was only books and you know it was only uh, it was only in the U.S. Uh, you know operations people could buy overseas but you would ship it through the U.S. Postal Service overseas and um, you could just tell by both by the customer feedback saying hey this is something special and also. Um, you know, when we had looked at a lot of different websites back then, you could look at some websites and say, you know, they don't really get the web yet. You looked at Amazon's and you, you could tell, it, you know, just just by the homepage, okay, they get it. Um, they're they're on onto something, and and you know, more, more so than any uh, company we had seen up to that point. Hmm. You, yeah, you mentioned belief, but. Uh- Coupled with that, you need that validation, that customer validation, where it seems like too many people are bought into the wrong idea. Uh, that's that's really intriguing. That's cool to hear about. I am wondering for you, what was day one like? Like here, you go from this startup, and then all of a sudden, you're part of this. Yeah, so I, I do remember uh, my day one. It was in March of 1998 at at Amazon, and uh, you know we went through. Uh, it was I wouldn't call it an orientation. It was maybe two hours in a small conference room. And with, you know, there were about uh, 10 of us there and learning about, you know, some of the standard things about how Amazon works uh, and, and, you know, getting the, uh, looking over the employment agreement and things like that. And, uh, and then Jeff came in and, and talked and, uh, and he said, he said two things. He said, you know, what we're, what we're about at Amazon is the first thing we're, we want to build Earth's most customer centric company and then we want to be the place where people can find and discover anything they may want to buy online. And uh, I would say the first one has definitely held true um, to, to this day. And uh, the second one maybe was even a little thinking too small. It sounded like an audacious vision. But if you look at what Amazon's doing now, there it's much more than just being a place where people can go and find and discover and buy online. There's you know the B2B with AWS. There, you know, there's a whole slew of, of other businesses that Amazon's in. But but, you know, being Earth's most customer-centric company, from that was the very first thing that I heard Jeff talk about on my first day at Amazon, and it's true, uh, you know, now today in 2021. I'd, I'd be so intrigued to hear about, because you spent a dozen years at Amazon, correct? 
Yes. And, and then two of those years, you were Jeff's technical advisor, which essentially is the chief of staff. So, so you saw everything to transition. Jeff back then in 1998, March of 98, how similar was he as a leader to, to what he is today? So in terms of, uh, you know, we all learned a lot. Amazon was effectively a different company every 18 months, given the, the, the growth. And, um, you know, I think back then, you know, my observation of Jeff was insanely focused and obsessed over customers and was great at communicating that, that vision. Um, how, uh, Jeff changed and how I would say a lot of us changed at, at Amazon, um, becoming better operators and, you know, knowing what that means. And, um, you know, Jeff was, he was a great teacher of how to be, how to obsess over customers in a bunch of different areas, but, um, you know, being a great operator in terms of managing large teams, large businesses, and, uh, you know, we, we would have to ship a, a 10 or $20 book, across the US and, you know, just had a couple dollars of, of gross margin to work with in order to pay for the company, you have to be really operationally sharp to do that while growing uh, quite quickly. And so that was something that I think Jeff in particular learned is how to be a world-class operator um, that I would say he did not have in, in you know, the late 90s. And uh, I'd love to put you on the spot here, Colin. If I was asking someone who's worked with you for a decade, what do you think they would say that you're best at right now? Uh, yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, and you, you'll probably have to validate that. I, you know, so I, I, the thing that I try to do is, especially in my role, uh, you know, if I'm managing a team, I realize that my job is to get the best out of the team, sometimes to get them to do things that they don't think they can do and achieve, you know, maybe push them uh, a, a little further than they think they, they can achieve. But I, I, if they would say, what is the, the thing? I, I have their backs and, you know, and no matter what happens, um, you know, if things are going well or if there's, uh, you know, things need to be changed, um, I'm just interested in helping them be successful not really interested in politics, um, you know, office politics or um, optics. And uh, I, I really just, you know, once you believe in the mission and of, of the, the the company, it's how can, how can you best achieve that? And, you know, being open and honest. So I think that people would say, whatever happens, I know Colin has my back. Colin, we recently had on Randall Stutman, uh, who's worked with over 2,000 uh, corporate executives, 400 plus uh, CEOs, and he says the number one trait he's broken down 15,000 leaders, and it's about fanness, meaning the people who who work with them and for them, they're fans of, and it sounds exactly what you hit on there. So it, it's just kind of cool to see that um, in yourself right there. Speaking of leadership, uh, I love in the book you, you you bring up Amazon's fourteen leadership principles. Um, they'll they'll be included in the show notes. I, I know you can find them online, um, and you guys break them down in the beginning of the book, working backwards, uh, which I loved. It was just such a, a deep dive and, and distillation of your time at Amazon uh, and all the lessons learned. But I'm wondering, out of those 14 leadership principles, are there certain ones that even today just deeply resonate with you? You know, so there is no hierarchical order uh, of them in terms of, uh, you know, there, there are 14. They're all, it's, they're woven into everything Amazon does and, and also, quite honestly, everything I do in, in, in my career. So it's hard to pull one of those um, 
leadership principles out and say, well, this one is not as important. You know, uh, if if I had to say, you know, encapsulate what, you know, how I, I think Connect and also Amazon does, you know, customer obsession versus competitor obsession is is really front and center. The long-term thinking and uh, which doesn't always, by the way, necessarily mean it takes you a longer time to get to you where you want to go. That long-term thinking often gets you to your end goal faster than than short-term thinking does, because um, you're 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 um, doing things that that, <laughs> that really drive the needle. And then um, you know just invention. And so part of invention is hey, sometimes it, inventions are going to fail. You know if you do experiments and you know that they're going to work. Uh, it's not an experiment, you know, if, if you know that there's no chance of failure. And then uh, I think, as, as I mentioned, some of the things that I learned is being operationally efficient, which means holding people and yourself to very high standards. If you see a defect, you don't let it travel downstream. Um, you know, so those would be, you know, the I, the four things that if, if I had to call out, uh, but I, but you know, I, there, there are none of them that I would, the 14 that I would say, oh, no, that's not, that's not really important. No one really does that or I don't pay attention to that. Yeah, no, it, it seemed like it, the, these principles are just so deeply ingrained. And I, I want to hit on that in a minute, how a great leader can make sure they are deeply ingrained as opposed to what we see within a lot of companies. You've got our values on the wall and that's pretty much it. Does anyone really live them? I don't know. But uh, yeah. you, you hit on long-term thinking there. Uh, I, I was just going through the book again this morning and one of the spots I, I really just kind of, made a note highlighted sent out to my team is that process of sometimes you need to slow down to speed up and, and some of that additional early work speeds you up long term. Um, so I love that. That's, that's something people can expect out of this, the book. But I would love to know early on, especially as, as Amazon's young, still shaping companies. I know you work with a lot of young companies. What can leaders do so that these principles, their values actually do get lived out day to day and continue for the long term within a company? Yeah, so the the I think the the probably the the first and foremost thing they could do is implement processor mechanisms to make sure that those leadership principles are reinforced. And uh, the, I'll give you a couple examples of of how Amazon does that. In terms of hiring, Amazon has a very deliberate hiring process, and uh, it's called the bar raiser process. We don't have to go into all the details now, but each interviewer is responsible for vetting one or two or three leadership principles for the candidate. Do they, have they exhibited them? Will they exhibit them in the future? That's one of their jobs in an interview. And uh, so, you know, when I was at Amazon, I probably, um, you know, spent about a day a week either interviewing or, you know, debriefing candidates or, or, or phone screening. And a huge part of that is the leadership principles. So just by interviewing people, you you get a group of four, five, or and five to seven people discussing does this person embody leadership principles? And so that you know that's just one way to reinforce leadership principles at at, at the at the, the the company in terms of you know how you evaluate people. Um, that's the lens that everyone, you know, how you evaluate your manager, how you evaluate peers and people who work for you. It, it's through the lens of those leadership principles. And then, um, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, customer obsession, how Amazon measures things, uh, you know, looking at input metrics, which are largely defining what did my customer, uh, you know, set what was their experience last week? And is it getting better from, you know, week over week last week to, to this week, and they're they're focused on customer metrics, 
um, you know, by and large versus output metrics that customers really don't care how much revenue Amazon generates or profit, um, but they do care about, did I get my order on time? How quickly did I get it? Was the item I was looking for on the store, uh, you know, on the website or the app, was it there? Was it in stock and could I order it? And was it at a great price? So, you know, if you do those things right, then Amazon will, you know, generate more revenue and and profit, but Amazon focuses. So knowing what to focus on also helps for those leaders. And, um, you know, so they're not just, the leadership principles are not just posters on the wall. You've got to weave those leadership principles and build your company from the ground up um, from those principles. You can look at any major Amazon process and you can see those leadership principles embedded in, in, in and in action. Yeah, and that's you, why there are fourteen of them. No, and you did a great job of really coupling them in there, so you could see how they're lived day in and day out. One I made a special note of that I need to go back in for myself is really breaking down, analyzing those input versus output metrics. Because I, I love how you guys frame that. Uh, it really makes you think deeper about the business, what you're doing. So that was really insightful for me. Um, that's very helpful. I, I am wondering, there, there's a lot of people young in their career, early entrepreneurs, young companies, and they're still trying to figure out what are my leadership principles? What are my values? Any advice there? I know this is for people earlier uh, in their career and then companies that are smaller, but would love to hear your thoughts with this. Yeah, I think it, it's, it is, if you don't have them, it is very important to, especially for younger companies to figure out what they are, because as you grow from two people to 10 people to 100 people, you're going to get a culture whether you like it or not. It's just, is it the one that you want? And so if you don't know what it is and you're not actively screening people who fit that culture, because there are plenty of different cultures and there are plenty of different uh ways to build great companies, you've got to decide what is your unique spin and will this person help or are they, will, will they detract from the, the, the culture? So to, you know, to figure out um, your leadership principles, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go through uh, a series of steps about, you know, what are the hard decisions that we're going to face as a company moving forward and what are the, the, um, the types of attributes or the people that we're looking for who will help us make those tough decisions, um, uh, you know, in, in the way we think that they should be made when we're not in the room as founders of, of the company. And so you want to give them you know, essentially a minimum sufficient set of guideposts and principles to operate on when you're not in the room, because they're going to be making decisions that you're not aware of, but you want to trust that those are made. doesn't mean that you never get involved you know, or you never audit. You still have to do those types of things. But um, and then if you're not if you're not tired of hearing them yourself as a leader or founder, you probably haven't said it enough. That point right there at the end uh, is something I. I see a lot of leaders don't do enough of. They're they're so used to hearing it, writing it down themselves. They forget about that the the other people they're working with might not be as privy to that type of information or that thought process. So I, I just love that point there, Colin. I'm wondering earlier we were talking about kind of that that zoom in, zoom out. You now transition from Amazon. I'm wondering, are, are there certain times that you just question some of the the frameworks or mental models you have from Amazon and, and just try to step back and say, is this going to be the best usage of, of this type of principle or, or structure within this new organization? Does that ever happen? Well, so where, where I've seen that uh, some of these things not take is really when the leaders of the company aren't 
fully bought in for a change. And uh, so, you know, for instance, if one manager department wants to adopt narratives, which is Amazon's famous for versus slides. And if the CEO says, yeah, you can do that, but whenever you come and present to me, I just want to see slides. Um, that effort is probably going to not go very far within within the company. So I, I think that the, the biggest hurdle, quite honestly, has been that people just aren't bought into some of the, the things that Amazon does. And, you know, that's okay. As I mentioned earlier, they're if they have a different way that they want to build and, and run their own company, that's fine. You know, we're, we're uh, all about just saying, here's how Amazon works and how they do it. Um, not saying it's, it's better or worse than how a Google or Facebook, you know, hires. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's really incumbent upon the, you know, the people to say, yeah, I want to go try this. And if they don't, then it's they're, they're either not ready or they've got, something else that works better for them. But I, I would say that um, these uh, processes and principles at Amazon, they've withstood the test of time. They worked in small groups. They've worked in medium-sized groups and large groups. They've worked for a vast number of industries, you know, just for websites and apps, the standard e-commerce. They've worked for logistics. How do you manage, you know, huge labor force in the warehouse? How can you do B2B uh, with, you know, AWS working, you know, with, with corporate customers? How can you make devices and which has a, a, a quite a different model in terms, you know, it has, doesn't have a negative operating cycle. You've got to, you know, build things in advance and, and you know, predict how much is going to sell and, and take a big risk there. It works across all of those different types of, uh, of businesses. So if you don't have something, I, you know, I'd suggest at least looking at it and evaluate whether this is something that, you know, may, may work for you. Yeah, that, that, that's just one of the key things, right? Like, let's step back, really analyze, dive deep into, into our business, what we're doing, um, and, and we can always learn from other people. It's what you were talking about early with the, with the mentor mentee type relationship. Um, that, that, that's the relationship you should have when you're when you're learning from a book like this. I, I want to dive back into that that kind of slow down to speed up in the long term process. And, and I'm wondering how younger companies that it, it almost seems like. I, I could be completely wrong. I would love you could be corrected here about just having to move so fast individually. Amazon seems like you guys are so good about being able to step back, really analyze your thinking and slow down in that process. Are there things that, that you think could be helpful for a young company who, who just hears move fast, move fast, move fast? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the first thing is sometimes slowing down actually is moving faster and, you know, slowing down in the beginning gets you to where you're going. And, and, and the reason is that um, sometimes you need to, you have scarce resources and, and you want to make sure that you are using those scarce resources, be they capital, software engineers in, in the right manner. So sometimes, you know, speeding up to say, well, We've got to hit our revenue goals, so we're going to pull, you know, five people off of this project and go work on a promotion. That's we're going to hit the, the revenue. You're, you know, sometimes what you're doing is you're pulling your bottleneck resources that are building long-term value in the company and working on for a short-term goal. You you may hit that short-term goal. It you know, a lot of times what you end up doing is you just pull future demand into the current period. You haven't expanded the overall pool. 
and you're further behind because the project that you really, you know, is accruing the long-term value to the customers and the company, um, it's, you know, you're further behind in that project. So that's just one example of where we've got to move fast. You know, the board has told me we've got to hit the the the, the revenue number for this month um, is, is, you know, not the probably that that you could have made a different decision and and gotten there. Sometimes you just admit, yeah, we're not going to hit it this month, but if we follow this path, we are going to exceed plan. Um, you know, in, in other ways, you have to have conviction that what you're doing is correct. Also, you know, sometimes if what you're doing is not correct, then you realize, are, are we actually doing the right thing? And do we need to, to, to change or, or cancel or, or, or pivot? It's funny though, Colin, how many people don't want to, don't want to face that harsh truth about what they're doing actually isn't correct. One, one thing you brought up there a minute ago, um, is around bottlenecks. And you talk about this in the book a few times about how, how Jeff Bezos just seems to be so good at, he hears all this information and then he can pull out the one key blockage bottleneck. I'm just wondering how within massive systems, like a big company like Amazon, do you understand the key blockers and, and the bottlenecks in those systems? I'm just wondering how you as a leader get better at that, that high level analysis. Yeah. So, um, so one thing you can do is just how that information is presented. And, you know, if it, this, this is one reason why Amazon has adopted narratives versus using slides, these are complex businesses. They have lots of moving parts. There's, you know, there the lots of um, interconnections. That's hard to do in a hierarchical presentation. And so one way to, to recognize what the bottlenecks are is just change the way you're presenting and, and analyzing information. And Amazon forces uh, anyone to, you know, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm giving an update on my, you know, monthly update on my business, or I'm about to propose moving into a new country, or here's a feature, or we're, we want to reduce, um, we want to increase efficiency and reduce the cost per order per shipment from X to Y, and here's how we're going to do it. A PowerPoint is usually, or slides are usually the wrong tool to do that. So forcing the the writer, or the, and which is often a team, it's not just a single um, individual, to think through those issues. What that does is it, it really crystallizes the presenter's thinking. But then more importantly, when the, the leader or, you know, leaders come in and they're analyzing a problem, they really have between seven to 10 times more information in order to help make that uh, help the team make that decision. They're able to give higher quality feedback. And, you know, an hour meeting of whether you look at slides versus an hour meeting of reading and commenting on a narrative, it still is one hour. You just have 10 times more information and you, you, you're you more likely than not to make better decisions. And so it, the bottleneck will, will, will surface. So that's one thing. And then pattern matching is also important. Um, you know, knowing, uh, you know, if I've seen a similar situation, um, you know, just then that comes with the either experience or, you know, contact switching and, you know, Jeff gets to see and learn from a, a, a lot of different areas. So he's able to, to pattern match. But, um, but I think that in some respects is, a, is an easy out and not very useful for people just because they don't really have Jeff working at their company. Um, so, you know, what you can do is you can make sure that the, the you know, that you you push back a little bit on the team presenting to say, have you thought through the problem and and and, and you know and presenting it in the right manner? 
Have you thought through that? That's something that just came out so much within Amazon. It's really pushing on people's thinking, both to distill down their own thinking and and then in terms of presenting. So I'd love if we could even clear this just a little bit for the listeners because I don't want to assume that they're familiar with Amazon or their practices. So in terms of the slides, Amazon's 100% eliminated PowerPoint slides. And please fill in any gaps here. But it seems like the the main thing, and they've switched over a lot of times to six-page maximum-type memos. And what that does is in the traditional PowerPoint, you just have these bullet points. So much is lost in between the cracks where whoever is the presenter might be thinking through a specific thing. And during a presentation, they might be able to to dive deeper on those. But if someone's just quickly analyzing the PowerPoint slide, they they don't understand the true depth and details. And when you have to put that down in writing – um, you really crystallize your thinking. And then even to start the meetings, you guys just spend 20 minutes in silence reading it. That's correct, right? Yeah. So um, it's six pagers. And you know, if you have a half hour meeting, you can do three pages. You know, It takes about, th- the, for, if the right information density on a page, it takes about three minutes to read a page. So that's just a general rule of, of thumb. So you know, six pager, you've got 20 minutes, 18 minutes of reading two minutes of chit chat maybe to start the meeting and then 40 minutes of, of deep dive d- discussion. So Amazon meetings, they're, for new employees, especially they're kind of eerie in there <laughs> where you walk into a meeting and, you know, people are saying hi and then, okay, let's get started. And it's silent for, for, for 20 minutes and people are reading their, they're commenting, they're giving feedback. The other th- uh, thing that narratives do it, you know, as I mentioned, if you just look at the pixel density, in addition to the clarity of thought, it's, you know, seven to times to, to 10 times more infor, information that's transferred. Um, it also removes bias. There's, you know, if you have a, a very slick presenter that's presenting a so-so idea, that's a dangerous situation. <laughs> the flip side also is if you have someone who's not really a, a great presenter, but they have the you know, a kernel of a great idea, often it gets lost because they're fumbling around, the presentation is boring. So you remove that bias and the, the idea floats to the top versus the, the presentation. And the last thing I'll add is that, um, you know, you can read a narrative, you don't even have to be in the meeting, you can read it afterwards and read the comments and know what's going on. Whereas if you look at a slide presentation, you really get very little information. So that would be a good litmus test is, you know, if you had two of the, the, the held the same meeting twice, one with a deep, uh, you know, well thought through narrative and comments, and then one with a uh, just covered in slides. And then you ask someone to come in and say, here are the two documents. Tell me what you know about this situation. That's what I'm talking about, about the difference in quality of information that, that you can get. And that's why Amazon moved to, to that in terms of uh, it started off in whenever anyone went to meet with Amazon's management uh, to the top team, which calls the S team at Amazon. It's basically Jeff's direct reports um, and, you know, the top managers at the, the company. Um, we just said we had a meeting that was kind of a disaster meeting and it wasn't because the team was ill-intentioned or it was really because the mechanism we were using was wrong, which was slides. It was the, the topic was too complex so, you know, we, we just decide, let's move forward, let's rip the Band-Aid off and we'll move over to narratives. And I talked earlier about reversible decisions. You know, it, if it didn't work, we would have gone back to slides in, in you know, a, a, a month or two. We said, yeah, that we tried this one. That was a bad idea. Let's go figure out um, something else. But it did work. It took us a while to get our legs in terms of writing and commenting on narratives. You know, it started as four page. And we realized four pages wasn't enough. People came in with 30 pages. 
And you can't really read in the, that amount of time that much information and comment on it. So that's, you know, it kind of settled in. The hysteresis settled in at six was roughly the right um, level of detail. So, um, yeah, so that's the way Amazon has approaches, um, you know, complex de de decisions. They still do use slides, you know, in terms of things like all hands and, you know, that, that's the, the right form because those slides are really a presentation tool. It's not a tool to analyze complex business decisions or give updates on, uh, you know, uh, with lots of unknowns on the state of a current business. Yeah, anyone who wants to understand their business more, that 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 chapter alone, you, you talk about removing the bias. I'm sure anyone in the corporate world ha has been in one of those meetings. You got a great presenter and you're just like, wait a second, is this idea horrible? This person's great. And then vice versa, like you hit on. So it's very cool to hear about. I, I would love knowing more about some of the, the ins and outs and the specifics with, with you and your role within Amazon. We were talking earlier about becoming the technical advisor, which essentially is like the chief of staff, right-hand man. What do you think you got most out of that role? Well, you know, I mean, I, I was incredibly lucky to, uh, that Jeff asked me to, to do that. And so I... You, Colin, do you even mind? I, I would love to know why you think out of everyone he could have selected, why you? I, I never really asked him that. Uh, and, you know, when he asked me, uh, you know, if I'd like to do that role... Um, I knew it was an important role. So I, I asked him, well, first of all, what are the success criteria for the role? What are you looking for? And um, I did not accept on the spot um, because I wanted to know what I was, well, again, what I was getting into. And I asked to take the weekend to think about it. And, and I, I also wanted to make sure that I had a chance of being successful in that role because it was, it was too important for, um, you know, if I didn't think I could succeed, I would have been the first to say, hey, I'm probably not the the, the right person at this point in time. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I, I could help Jeff. So the, you know, the role was that in, in the in the short term, it was help Jeff be a better CEO, make sure the right information, he's seeing the right areas of the company, me going into areas of the company that he necessarily couldn't get to as CEO. But then the second part was, um, the way he put it is that we could model each other in, in terms of our thinking and that after that I would go somewhere else in the company and and there'd be someone who you know really could embody the, the, those principles. So what I got out of it um, were, were two things. One is I learned how to be a better operator and just by looking at not only at Jeff but the S team there and I realized that there are several different leaderships effective leadership styles. And so I got to see how different types of leaders worked within their own organization effectively, you know, Jeff included. And so I kind of picked and choose what, what would work for me. So I think I became a much more effective leader and an operator. And then, but the, the second thing is just through osmosis in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, there is some downtime working with Jeff, you know, sometimes you have to travel to the next meeting or sometimes you have to fly across the country. You know, what do you do when you're on a, playing with Jeff for five hours, I would get a list of 10 hours of questions and, you know, knowing when to pepper, uh, you know, Jeff with questions or talk about issues or when it's just time, you know, it's been a long day, just relax and, you know, talk about not non-work stuff. You know, I had to calibrate that, but just, I got to ask Jeff questions that I realized that very few people could just because it was in, in some downtime, but, you know, just watching Jeff operate and, and, you know, asking questions and him giving me feedback. It was kind of like two years of business school. 
um, you know, it was 10 hours a day with Jeff for two years. So that I guess that's what my um, MBA is uh, in, you know, in terms of uh, a business school. But. There, there's a lot of gold nuggets right here. One thing I'm really intrigued by, you were talking about some of the things that you learned. I, I am wondering, and this probably ties into to you saying, I'm going to come up with 10 hours of questions, but what did you do just to most excel at that role, right? Like there, there's got to be step functions of improvement throughout those two years. And I'm wondering what you were doing in addition to those questions that you'd ask them during downtime. Yeah. So, I mean, bef- before I got into it, I did talk with Andy Jossie, who was Jeff's uh, technical advisor just before that. He's now the CEO of Amazon Web Services. Um, he gave me some great advice, you know, relying on, on mentors and peers. Uh, Rick Dalzell, he was the CIO of Amazon. He gave me some really good advice about, um, you may think you have power in this position, but you don't. You know, it's, it's all <laughs> through, through Jeff. So be very humble. And um, you're going to, and, you know, if you make enemies in this position, um, once you leave, it, 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 you know, you're going to be worse off than before you started. So, you know, there's some things that I, I you know, would have done anyway, but just, you know, took to heart that I, I realized I was in a very fortunate position. But where I learned more, you know, in some aspects, I learned what I didn't even know. And, you know, I, I really got to see how, how larger organizations worked and then how larger organizations worked with one another and how you can roll up in terms of how do you prioritize across a diverse set of activities. I got to learn a lot more about that, the types of um, discussions and questions and, and, um, and you know, ar- arguments, uh, you know, constructive arguments that went on and how do you prioritize scarce resources and how do you deal with uh, uncertainty and unknowns and it really reinforced a lot of these leadership principles. You know, Amazon was obviously a public company at that time, had uh, Wall Street expectations. But just seeing how those leaders said, yeah, but we're, we're, we're concerned about growing long-term free cash flow per share. And it may not uh, match with what Wall Street thinks this quarter is supposed to be, but we're going to stay the course uh, even if even if we're going to be misunderstood for periods long periods of time, I got to see how that worked both within Amazon and also at the the board meetings. It was interesting seeing different board members comment on what was going on at at, at Amazon, and you know a, there a lot of great feedback in, in in learning. But you know that's another thing I realized is that people who've been at Amazon for so long realized I think that well I guess every company works out this way it's not the case I think Amazon has some very unique characteristics that are um, worth shouting about and I think people can learn a lot from them yes yeah, certainly can one thing I would love to know, um, if you could have sat in for two years um, and, and, and been that, that chief of staff for any other CEO over the past 100 years, is there anyone who comes to mind that you would have loved to just to see operate day to day? Who would? I mean, that's, that's a, great, a great question. Um, Give me a second to, to, to think about that. Uh, you know, I, it would be cool to be a fly on the wall in Thomas Edison's lab and, you know, to, to, to just see that, the, the curious and inventive nature and to learn more about that. Um, you know, that would be, you know, that's going back uh, quite a while. I think, um, 
you know, being at the forefront of Toyota's total quality management, that was a, a, a radical and transformational change. So, and then, you know, Henry Ford uh, going through and saying, how could, uh, how can you change making car, building cars to be kind of a hobby and uh, in, in an artisan uh, type trade to mass production and really um, influencing change. Those would be a, I think pretty cool to be a fly on the wall in those three situations. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned Edison and Ford. Uh, so I, I live in South Florida. I'm about a half mile from uh, their winter estate properties. Um, so they, they basically live next to each other in the wintertime. Uh, and so it was, it was Henry Ford, uh, Thomas Edison, and Harry Firestone. You think about just like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the power of that group for a few months is pretty cool. Um, yeah. One thing I would love to know, you, you mentioned there's a lot of downtime. And I have to imagine there there's these intense sprint periods where even after a board meeting, you're like, wow, I just learned so much. Did you do anything just to decouple your own thinking and thoughts and what you learned during those times that were helpful? Well, I, I would um, jot things down. I knew that I was going through um, a, a very special time in my life, and I wanted to make the most out of it. Um, you know, for for Jeff, but also to to you know, my one of my goals was to be a sponge and learn as much as possible. So I would, um, you know, lessons I learned, I would try to reinforce either by writing them down, sometimes uh, sharing them with 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 other folks within the company about here's you know some really interesting thing that that I learned um you know of course without divulging anything that new things that weren't supposed to be uh divulged but I realized that um and when I would talk with other teams who were coming in to chat with Jeff or the, the S team you know I, I did realize that sometimes some of these teams get to do this once or twice a year and so I wanted to make sure that uh, not only Jeff and the S team but they got the most out of it too and so I would you know, I kind of bookend my day um, helping other people who either had just met with with Jeff or were about to, not to tell them here's what I here's what I think Jeff wants to hear or say, but to really think through some of these tough uh, issues and to make sure that the um, you know the right issues are are covered, whether it's a comfortable or uncomfortable conversation is kind of you know in, independent of that, but just whether the the right uh, decision gets made. Interesting. Uh, I'm one wondering, final thing here uh, with Jeff, is there any little thing he did that, that might go overlooked, but you just got to spend so much time on now that you're, you're stepping back and being able to analyze, you might think, huh, that, that, that was probably really important to just his overall success or how he operates? Well, you know, I mean, obviously just customer uh, obsession, but I would say one little thing and that I, I did learn is high standards. Um, you know, he holds his himself and his team to incredibly high standards and high standards are something that can be taught also. That is one thing that I learned. You need to, as a leader, you need to make it very clear where the bar is and when that bar is not met. Um, and also when, when it's exceeded is important too, to, you know, to celebrate that. But, um, but the, cause the challenge with, with, if, you think you have high standards when they're not met. If you don't point them out, the bar is lower because people, they know what's going on. There's some unwritten, even though it's not uh, verbalized or, or written down, they know, oh, I guess I don't have to be as sharp operationally because I knew there was a problem and it didn't get brought up in the weekly business review or, and I'm so glad that I, um, I didn't have to um, face the, 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 the questioning. So 
you know, you can teach high standards, but you also have to point out and you can do it constructively. You don't have to make people feel bad. And like, why did you do this? Or why did this happen? You want to use those things as learning experiences, but also point out that, hey, this is a case where we as a team or organization did not meet our expectations. Let's figure out how we can get there next time. That point you bring up when when those high expectations aren't met, uh, th- those expectations continue to drop. Uh, it, it's just so apparent. So that's such an excellent point there. Um, so, so the book you co-wrote with Bill Carr, I am wondering, the title, let, let's dive into that for a second, Working Backwards. Wh- where did that come from? So it came from, it's, it's, it's one of the processes, Working Backwards is a, is a specific Amazon process on how Amazon develops new products, features, and ideas. And at the, the heart of it, it's really starting from the customer experience and then working backwards from that in order to figure out what you're going to do next. Some companies use skills forward approaches. What are we good at? What are our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Yeah, and then how how can we move into an additional space, or um, or uh, how can we use what we're good at to 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 you know our skills to build something else? Amazon really starts from the the customer and, and works back works backwards from that. So sometimes things that you want to do to for the customer, you're not good at yet. So you need to you need to build up those capabilities. Um, but uh, and then the tool that Amazon uses or the the, the specific um, mechanism is something called the PRFAQ press release and frequently asked questions. So if you have an idea and you say, hey, we should go do this, you're and you're new to Amazon, your pro- your managers probably say, that's great. Can you write a PR and FAQ about that? And it's a one-page press release where you have to explain what what your idea is to to the customer. And um, and then the the FAQ usually has two components. One is external and, and an internal FAQ. The, the external facts are, you know, you're answering questions that a typical customer may ask. How much is it going to cost? Why should I buy this product versus what's on the market today? How is this a better experience for me? Why should I change my behavior to, you know, to use or, or buy this? The internal facts are where you talk about the tough decisions. Some are known and or, you know, some are unsolved problems that you'll have to do in order to make it to work. Can we build this device for with the bill of materials for less than $200? We need a sales force to get this product out to market. We don't have one. Should we use a partner or build a direct sales force? So it addresses all those questions up front. And, and you know, if you read the press release and you're not excited about using the feature or buying it as a customer, then it's go iterate again. So, and, and, and this is where, you know, it's, it's again, slowing down to before you move fast until you realize that you know, this is something I would use if I, you know, if, if I were the customer, um, then you don't move forward. And then the, the fact process, um, make sure you've covered, you know what you're getting into. You've covered all of the tough issues. And sometimes you don't have to know the the answers. Like we have to figure out how to solve this type of forecasting problem in order you know, to accurately predict demand in order for this to be built. And the next step we're going to come back with, we're going to tell you how we're going to do that. So, you know, the project will get greenlit. It's an iterative process. Most ideas, almost none of the ideas go through the the first time, yeah, this is great, go ahead and do it. And, you know, it's a type of narrative. So it's high quality feedback from a a broader team. And, you know, the other thing to point out is that at that point, the idea, um, 
then moves just from an, a person or a team's idea to the collective body of people who've commented on that. So, you know, the success or failure is now tied into a larger group of, of people. But the reason why we named the uh, book Working Backwards, it was it you know, we we struggled a bit with the the, the name because uh, you know how do you encapsulate Amazon and it's it's not a one trick pony and you know the book covers a lot of things Amazon does. Um, working backwards is a uniquely Amazon process, um, but uh, there are a bunch of other processes and it. So we cho- chose it because it was uniquely Amazonian, and. Uh, um, that that that's how we settled on on that title, and it you know, it kind of it's resonates. So I get you know, I understand Amazon's working backward process. Thank you for diving into that. That's very helpful. One of the things I love about the the press release, the FAQ, you said sometimes you don't even you don't even know the the answer to certain things. But what I love about that process is it brings to light some of those questions that wouldn't have been addressed without this process. I think it's one of those underlying things that that just makes that process. So amazing uh, for any company. So it's it's one I definitely am trying to instill even more with the companies I'm involved with. Uh, we're going to wrap up here in a minute. I I am intrigued though. Um, you you come off as very very well read, and whether you are or not, um, I don't know. But I am I am wondering. You've got a few books behind you on your bookshelf. Any books that have um, stood with you the test of time, or that you see yourself going back to over the years? Well, you know, I think Jim Collins' Good to Great was a uh, you know, fantastic book. I was lucky enough to see him speak at there's Amazon Fishbowl. And, uh, you know, the, the flywheel uh, concept actually is Im- embedded pretty heavily at, at Amazon in, in the, the, the retail business. Um, there's another book, uh, The Goal, that I read, you know, from uh, my college days. And, uh, you know, just I, really identifying the the, the bottlenecks and focusing on those, that's the way you can increase your, your um, throughput on whatever you're trying to do. Um, you know, I do, I do like uh, the team arrivals. It's not a business book per se, but, you know, um, listening to a diverse with Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, listening to a diverse set of perspectives. And uh, I, that has taught me a lot too. It's one of the reasons I moved overseas for a while. I wanted to figure out what, um, a, a non-U.S. Uh, perspective looks like on the ground, and you know, so seeking diverse uh, opinions and, and uh, viewpoints actually helps. So those would be three that kind of jump to the top of my mind. They're little little dated, um, you know, I, but those would be three that have stuck, withstood the test of time. I'll certainly add check marks to all three. All three that that I also have gone back to, I, I think are excellent reads as well. Uh, so we are going to wrap up here. The book out February 9th, Working Backwards. Any other final tips or, or lasting words you want to leave with the listeners? Believe me, uh, I read a lot and I, I do think this is the best book I've come across in terms of Amazon, but more importantly, outside of Amazon, the, these amazing principles, practices that you can implement in your own business. So this is one I really did enjoy, Colin. Well, th- thank you very much. I mean, we tr- we were, Bill and I were both first-time authors. We tried to um, make it an interesting read, but have enough information to where if someone read the book and they wanted to go do some of those things within their own organization, that they, they could actually do it. So it was, you know, I, I think a, a tricky balance between a reference guide, but an, an interesting read. And so hopefully we, we, we accomplished both, um, but we had a lot of help along the way. Fantastic. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us on What Got You There? Well, thanks so much for having me, Sean. I enjoyed the conversation.
You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.